Mustache Tales. Yeah! It starts with a little story, so I'm going to tell the story. So, I remember um, hearing about Doug Benson because I was living in New York City working for this film lawyer named John Sloss, and the movie Super High Me came out, and I was like, is that legal? Like, and, and at the time, of course, it wasn't legal. And I, I love how, you know, when I look you up on the internet, they call you a weed advocate. And I'm like, it's just a guy who smokes weed. Regardless, uh, when I got to uh, LA, uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, I'm a weed advocate, right? So, uh, I, you know, uh, and so I'm, I'm in LA and I, I, it's a little fuzzy because I've done your various of your podcasts, maybe. 10, 12, I don't know how many times, so many times. Um, and I got invited to do uh, Getting High, Getting Dug with High. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because our movies, everybody thinks that we just turn on the camera and just riff uh, and that we're really loose. And that's originally, that really wasn't the case. It was very organized, very rhythmic, very specific. But in my mind, I'm like, no problem. I'll just get high and talk to Doug, and it'll be fine, no problem. And I remember we were live streaming it, um, and I took, you know, two bong hits, and I was spinning off fucking Saturn Seventh Moon, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! And there were camera- there were three cameras, and I've already signed the release, and I'm like, oh my god! And my brain is just not fucking function and i'm having huge fits of laughter and i'm like this is not the controlled performance that i like to give uh i would have memory lapses i mean i was just like oh my god and then at the end luckily just drew he had a car for me drove me home and my wife was like you were getting high on screen and i'm like yeah and she goes our kids need to get into high school and i'm like oh okay so I said, I said, I'll never, I'm not doing that again. And then I just looked up on the internet and it turned out I did another one with you guys live at Largo. Uh, and I was like, year, in front of an audience, in front of an audience, so only a year just- later which is, at Largo, which is right next to the, the grade school that my kids were attending. Um, then I did that again. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know. I mean, and then I was like, you know, it's not a great idea to get high on screen. And, um, so then I, <laughs> I'm a dull rope sorry. So so about a, a week ago I got invited to do a it's a new pilot. It's like like drunk history, but it's called High Story or something. You get high and you tell this ghost story that they spring on you the night before. It's four pages long and you're like and I was I, you know, the the thing about it is is my the reputation of Broken Lizard is that we're like Cheech and Chong. And we, at one point we were <laughs> Cheech and Chong, but you know, I'm not quite Cheech and Chong anymore, but so everyone's a little disappointed with the amount of weed I smoke. And I remember the one thing I do remember being on your show, Doug, was that people were texting you or whatever, like, when's this pussy going to smoke again? How come this pussy won't smoke more weed? And you were eventually you're like, I got to tell you, people are calling you a pussy for not smoking more weed. I'm like, all right, I'll smoke more weed. Anyway. <laughs> that well i mean i just assume that i did I, during the show i don't i don't read what they're saying but in the comments uh on youtube it does 
uh, I'll just kind of tease the guests with the fact that, uh, you know, or you're being called a pussy right now. If any amount of time goes by without smoking, because uh, in their minds, the idea is, you know, if it's a sh- show where you could smoke, that that should be you should just be doing it constantly. But, I, you know, I always have to explain to them that we want to have conversations and stuff and not just be sitting there coughing, uh, you know, having coughing and laughing fits. But uh yeah, they're vicious. They're they're very vicious about it. They're very they're uh, hardcore stoners. Uh, at least at that time when we were, you know, going out live on YouTube. Now it's a show on Patreon, so it's a a much more chill vibe. You still do uh, it, at least at least in the comments section. You know, you still do getting high with Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still do it. We we turned it into like a Zoom thing during the pandemic, and then. Uh, now we um now that we're free to go out we like go out to different locations uh and smoke or like if i'm on the road we'll just do it like from my hotel room and uh it's really uh just in the years since i started uh podcasting in general it's really uh wild how much things have changed it's but the marginal return of smoking. If you were doing a show where you drank a lot and people were pressuring you to drink, you could see maybe you get more animated, you get more boisterous, you go, go, go. But the, the returns on the more you smoke actually can make people shut down. I've watched multiple episodes of Getting Dug With High and you see the yeah. point of no return from certain <laughs> That's why we kind of, we made, there was like the Jack Black rule after he did the show, we always made sure there was more than one guest because then there's a better chance <laughs> at least somebody would be able to handle it because you can he tap came out. on after, you know, he did that thing that a lot of people are doing. You know, Snoop Dogg announced uh, just recently that uh, he is done with uh, smoking, but the way he phrased it makes me think, oh, he's going to do edibles or vapes or s- some other, you know, he's just not going to smoke, you know, blunts anymore or whatever. But, uh, and he really, like, ended it, it looked like a death thing, because it was a black and white photo, and he's going like this, and, um, and, and he ended it with respect by privacy at this time. Because <laughs> he knows that, like, the deluge of him being called a pussy for quitting uh, is, is, is going to be insane. Like, that's why he had to make an, an official announcement, I think, because just saying I'm good to somebody when they try to pass him something isn't going to fly. It's no. fucking Snoop, you know? No, I think that was the <laughs> ultimate sign of how crazy the world's gotten. When I heard that news, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> He's announced. <laughs> he did it very somberly. He, like, he did it very somberly, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> he yeah, out. I just... He's he's announced it in the past before. He's of course was Snoop Lion for a time. So like he is, uh, he can change his mind. It's like all these uh, final tours that these bands go on, where they say it's their, you know Kiss is on their seventeenth final tour uh, <laughs> as we speak. I think I've seen Kiss six times. It's, it's it's never not a good show. No, it's incredible. I, I don't know why they don't just. I don't know why they're not getting like holograms or something because. Most of the, a lot of the fun of their shows is just the, uh, how much pyro there is. And you could just do that about, you know, put some robots or some holograms on stage. You don't have to be there. Did you hear ABBA's doing shows where they're not there? They're like not at, you, you go to a facility to watch ABBA and it's all, uh, you know, them just, uh, hologramming in from, I don't even know if they, 
are performing live from wherever they are. I think it's even just recorded. I mean, on, they figured on, that uh, out. People are paying to see it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> on. You know, my favorite part about the Kiss show is when uh, Paul Stanley pretends to drink an entire bottle of cold gin uh, and the crowd goes absolutely bananas. Like, he's like, yeah, yeah, he goes, we're not drinking vodka. We're not drinking whiskey. And what are we drinking? Cold gin. And then he takes a whole bottle and just downs the entire thing of water. And you're like, yeah. Of water. Of water. <laughs> He's a showman. I think this Snoop move is genius because it's like when a prize fighter retires, their next fight when they get to announce a comeback is a huge deal. So he could come back out of retirement 10, 12 times. Everybody's got their cynical take on why he's doing it. Like some think that he's just drawing attention to himself because he's got a, a project or a weed, you know, his own weed line or clothing or so something. Something else is about to drop that uh, he just wanted to get everybody, wanted to circle the wagons, you know. I, I have another and, perspective uh, on it. I, I, you know, because having made Beer Fest, the amount of people who walk up to me at bars, first of all, they bring me shots of whiskey because that's what they fucking drink. I have a very calibrated fucking set of drinks. I drink like six vodka sodas. I'll go up to eight or nine. I'll go down to four. That's fine. But it's just organized, and they're singles. Unless it's a hot bartender, they're singles. Uh, and well, you like that Citron stuff? What was that? The Mandarin yeah, like Stoli? Sure, sure. Like it's very specific. Sure, very like- specific. <laughs> and then some guy brings up two shots of whiskey, and I'm like, "Well, there's the whole fucking equilibrium thrown up." And then they keep coming, so I have to do this thing in my stand-up act where I'm like, "No more fucking whiskey. That's enough. It's enough." And it worked. Uh, but still, people come up with two pints of beer. They want to chug against me. And everyone's getting faster. <laughs> and so this is what has caused me to pause when we're, we've been talking about making the sequel to Beer Fest, making Weed Fest for years. And, uh, and Heffern and I, Kevin Heffern and I are like, ah, are you one of these fucking guys coming up to you with weed? I mean, we get it already where people pull up and like, I was outside a, a restaurant in Baton Rouge making Dukes of Hazard. And a car screeched up, and they're like, get in, we're smoking weed. And I'm like, all right. So I get in the car, and, this, <laughs> and I'm like, so they're smoking. I'm like, looking at these people. I'm like, how old are you? And he goes, 16, 17, 8. And I'm like, get me out oh. of the fucking car. <laughs> I mean, I, I already, and I'm sure Snoop has it like times one million, right? Where everyone wants to oh, yeah. knock Snoop, Snoop out. Um, and I'm sure he's yeah. just like, that's I mean, enough. he also... He's got people around him at all times, though, so you can't really run up to him and you'd be like, "Here, smoke this." But uh, it's still got to be a lot. I mean, in the you know, you know, it's it's calmed down a lot for me because I'm just you know I'm less um, you know visible. You know, I don't have like any TV and movie things going on really, and then also the just the legalization happening everywhere. There's less excitement around the idea of getting me high or getting high with me. Well, so that's what like I wanted to ask. When you started that in like 2000, it was still illegal and you were doing it on camera. How did you get guests? Because it was like a, a big jump to get someone to come on the show and smoke weed and have it be filmed. Well, I did, you know, I did the uh, Super High Me came out like in 2007. Uh, we did it in 2006. And then um, 
you know, so that sort of like was a blast of, oh, this guy just went around the country smoking weed for this documentary and, you know, nothing he owns this. He owns this space. Well, no, super you know, High like, was in the wake of Super Size Me, right? Didn't it? Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it, was, it tended to be, a, a, you know, my idea was to do a parody of, of uh, Super Size Me and just switch it, you know, set a McDonald's, make it, you know, weed, you know, weed all day long every day. But then... Because at the time we were shooting it, there was still like even medical marijuana facilities were being raided uh, all the time. And so there's footage of that in the movie. And it just really, it just sort of captured a moment of when it really was about to start becoming legal, but was still uh, being treated like it was, uh, you know, uh, crack or, you know, like they say in the movie, in the movie at one point, they, they went out and filmed a, 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 a pot store being raided late at night and uh, a protester outside yelled at the cops, uh, you know, go bust a meth lab, you pussies. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> pretty amazing thing to yell at a bunch of cops, you know, carrying boxes of, of, of weed uh, <laughs> out of a building. But, um, but so, after, after you did Super High Me, I remember at the time, because people had not consumed it that much publicly, and you had something like, you had a higher sperm count at the end of the experiment after 30 days. Like You had health well, benefits that kind of came to light. The whole casting crew really took advantage of the situation when I during the 30 days where I was smoking continuously, and they would get high themselves quite a bit. And... Uh, so I still contend to this day that it was just uh, getting your sperm tested or whatever is um, like you should do it at the place. Like for some reason it was it was it was decided <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd you know jerk off at home and then some guy just counts it on the floor. <laughs> a guy, a guy that works in the movie would take it in a bag to the place to get it analyzed. And I just feel like that doesn't feel that feels like something went wrong. So of course, why why change the results? Because it's hilarious that my sperm count went up. Because that's <laughs> you know that's co conventional wisdom is that it goes down. And we were just trying to show that there probably isn't any change at all. You know, uh, who knows what the yeah. it, it was dumb. You know, so we we did we tested a couple of times, and I think the second time was while I was getting high all the time because the first. The first part of the movie is 30 days of me just quitting cold, cold, so, you know, cold turkey. Like, I don't smoke for 30 days. And that was another thing where people were just always asking me, like, how did you get through those 30 days? And I go, well, it was like my whole life up to the point where I started smoking weed. Like, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and, you know, as much as you want it, it's like, you know, I always compare it to, like, cake. I mean, I want lots and lots of cake but i can also not eat lots and lots of cake you know you can still I, as much as i love marijuana and cake i can set both of them aside especially to make a documentary to prove that i could set it aside you know so even in the documentary sometimes i'd say to camera like oh i'm miserable or whatever just to play up that aspect of it but uh you know it's it's not that hard to quit it's just a joy to continue <laughs> <laughs> well and, this is um so getting back to your getting done with high questions so they uh so that was a few years after super high me so people you know i had enough of a reputation and enough friends that appeared in super high me uh comedians and stuff that getting guests was was doable and there were some really good notable people who really stepped up 
But then a lot of people who are friends of mine or just strangers, but that are very much known for their advocacy of marijuana, still didn't want to uh, take that chance of, uh, you know, being live on camera doing it because it's just too easy to, uh, you know, embarrass yourself. Well, they used to be like a death sentence for presidential candidates when they'd ask, have you ever used drugs? And, you know, the famous, I never inhaled. Yeah. Like it was like yeah. it, would, it would make you a horrible person for your whole life. I put it in my mouth and I licked it real good. <laughs> but then that was the end of the engagement. Um, I've never tried to do a Bill Clinton That's before. That's pretty good. <laughs> Nailed it. Never <laughs> again. <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, it's, um, you know, so things have changed uh, over the years, but there's still to this day, I still argue that it's harder to, it's strangely harder to get somebody to get high in camera than to do like, say drunk history. And also ever since drunk history, that show started, I've been constantly bombarded with, you should do high history. You should do, uh, get high and tell stories. And it's like, I'm high all day, every day. Every story I tell, I'm telling high. And guess what? I'm semi-articulate. You know, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't mess with you. In the, you know, you might go, uh, or, you know, you might forget what you're talking about at some point. But that doesn't make an entertaining uh, show. I hope this thing that, that you're on, Jay, I hope it's uh, uh, better than it sounds. Because it just feels like the premise is already weak because... Uh, you know, unless you get somebody who really gets wrecked by marijuana, then I guess that would be funny. But then that would also well, just be a, it, it, it would be like a public service announcement that you shouldn't do weed because then you can't tell a ghost story. I, yeah. That you I, mean, I, I went over to Gower Studios, they sent a car and I'm over there and I'm getting in a trailer and there's a dude in the trailer who's has been assigned to get high with, by the way, I, I, I was showing Hayes this Doug Benson pin. <laughs> That uh, <laughs> sits next to my uh, toothbrush every day. Every day I see you. Oh, wow. Every day I see you. <laughs> what an honor. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and I get in this trailer, and this dude's there who's like, my job is to get high with you. I'm like, okay. And uh, he goes, they told me to, to bring a lot because, uh, and so I brought this one pound joint because you're like a famous stoner. And I'm like, I, I'm just going to have two bongets. And he was so disappointed. <laughs> Like he was just like, oh man, I mean, you know, I thought you were going to be, I was told to really be ready for you. And I'm like, I've got to go be on camera. And then when I get on camera, it was, I mean, look, it, it, I think it was funny, but then again, my, my, I was in and out of consciousness almost. It was so strong. I was losing my fucking chain of train of thought. I was, la I was laughing fits. And then I would try to tell the story. I don't. Who knows? Yeah. It's all well, that yeah, they'll, they'll chop that up. They'll chop that up and make it even weirder than it was in, in, in the moment. You know, that'll be pretty easy to do, but it's just like on a per show basis. Like, I guess it's fun to watch somebody that's just kind of a, so high they're a mess, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No, people, was, people, people are signing up to watch the train wreck and the drunk train wreck is entertaining and goes off the rails the high train wreck why i enjoy watching it is it's so awkward it's <laughs> like people like extroverts go like into their skin they just want to hide and it's not as entertaining but you're feeling how uncomfortable they are yeah it's like watching like a dog that looks like it's about to be hit like it's just <laughs> cowering like what do i even 
Like, how do I? Because <laughs> you know, know. you get so in your head. Like, uh, you know, does everybody know that I'm this high? Right. It's right. and it's funny because I also have you know, Douglas Movies is a long running, essentially game show podcast, and so getting high with me, you know, before the show uh, ha- happens quite a bit, and then people freak out and you know start blaming being high on not being able to answer trivia questions and it's more like well no you you just can't function at all while you're high because i still know the same trivia when i'm high <laughs> you yeah. know I, i'm suddenly not but knowing you, i'm on that show <laughs> i've been on the show that show so many times and my problem is i really just don't know movie trivia and so when i get high right. i'm not any worse or any better i'm just not good at movie trivia but you keep having me back i guess so i appreciate it <laughs> oh it's uh you know it's it's fun and i've uh, i've learned to make it a, you know anybody has a, a chance to win because more of the questions just have a, a, a kind of a guessing element to them you know because and here's a funny one that happened uh because <laughs> i remember one time you came to do Either Douglas movies are getting dug with high, and then when you got there, you thought it was you were doing the other show. Yes, that's right. So there was <laughs> so that was also funny that 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 confusion has happened a, a few times. That's right. You think you're going to go do some movie trivia, and then you end up getting high, or, that's or right. vice versa. That's right. Yeah, but one time, uh, acclaimed filmmaker Ari Aster, who did you know Midsummer and Hereditary, he. Um, he was my guest on a Douglas movies in uh, Austin, Texas. And we were sitting around in the green room before the show. And, uh, you know, one of my friends that gets me high all the time was there with a, a whole dab rig. And, you know, so, so we were doing dabs back there and he says to Ari, you know, you want to do a dab? And Ari's like, sure. Cause he thought he was going on getting done with high. And uh, so he gets really high backstage and then he comes out. And I start asking about his movies and trivia questions and stuff. And it, uh, <laughs> you know, did not go well for him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he even says at one point, you know, I thought this was getting done with high. And I, and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I don't do a live getting high show in Texas. What do you think I am? Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you tell, uh, you know, tell me about your early plans to be an actor and I know you're still an actor, but I mean, like I watched that little bit, I mean, that incredibly, um, lush part where you get to hit on Jennifer Aniston in friends. Like, how did that happen? Like what happened? Like what was going on that you ended up (laughs) getting to do that? Uh, you know, I just like. I've done a lot of writing and a lot of, um, you know, other sort of show busy kind of jobs since the day I uh, hit Los Angeles. You know, I grew up in San Diego and when I graduated from uh, high school, I just went to junior college in San Diego for a couple of years just to like also like during that time just have several part time jobs and raise enough money so that the goal was to just move to Los Angeles and the plan was to uh you know start by being an extra in movies and uh you know trying to get a line you know trying to just get in the door to get into sag then at the time sag and after were separate like just get into sag because 
you know, you're, you're just not going to get auditions for movies if you're not in SAG, but you also can't get into SAG until you've spoken in, in a movie or TV show. So it's, you know, it's that weird catch 22. And, uh, so I was just the, the extra that was there to, uh, to get lines. And within my first year of doing extra work, I, I managed to get into SAG because <laughs> I just, you know, was very annoying about it. I just saw a clip recently of Brad Pitt talking about how when he started out as an extra, he was a waiter in a scene and uh, he's just supposed to pour some water into somebody's glass and they have the dialogue, you know, he's just the waiter. And the first take, he pours some water in the lady's glass. And he goes, can I get you anything else? <laughs> <laughs> and the director was like, can you do that again? You're fine. You know, you're off my set, you know, so he didn't do it again. But, uh, <laughs> But that was sort of that was sort of my approach, you know. So like, I just got lucky that uh, you know I knew the rules well enough to know when they couldn't uh, take advantage of the extras, which is part of what this whole recent strike was kind of fighting over. Is just how um, back when I was trying to get my SAG card, the you know the the basic rule was you know uh, if somebody if it appears that someone's speaking on camera, they get, uh, you know, they should get paid SAG. So I went and saw that movie. I, w I, w I did extra work in a movie called Secret Admirer, and I went to see it. And at one point, I get, like, pulled out of a car. You know, they gave me, like, a little extra money that night, uh, you know, a little bump for the action. But uh, the actor pulls me out of the car realize that I'm not the guy he's looking for and pushes me back in. And then when I saw the movie, and I don't say anything, and when the movie came out, uh, they dubbed in, hi, Steve, you know, like some nerdy <laughs> kind of reaction <laughs> to Steve doing that. And uh, so, you know, I was like, hello, SAG, because, you know, they're right. not supposed to get away with that. And they often, I guess they probably often do because nobody knows any better. So, uh, and then also on Moonlighting, they had uh, a scene where, they just walla walla like a bunch of people talking while all of us in the scene uh, were uh, standing around. You know, it wasn't us specifically talking. They didn't give us lines, but that was also enough for me to. So I got kind of like I had two cases at once. So SAG was just like, all right, you're in SAG. That you was know? with the whole. That was what the whole central issue of the strike was. You you summed it up. It was the catch twenty two of getting into the union was you have to have. It was like first a Taft Hartley job, and then your next job you got your card. But they wanted to scan us so that those jobs wouldn't even be available. There would be no entry point anymore if that was allowed to happen because you would be like a computer. Like if you stood in one show 10 years uh, ago and then they put you in this one, but you'd never get over that hump of getting the credits to get into the union. And I think that's what part of the big fight was. Yeah. And then also the, you know, the meager residuals I get for those first two jobs are still residuals. There's still a few pennies rolling in every few days. And that's like uh, another thing that they just, uh, you know, need to protect. Um, is this, you know, is this notion that, well, once we sell something to streaming, then, uh, you know, we don't have to pay the actors anymore. You know, we don't have to pay residuals because it's just on streaming and there's, there's been no set rate for residuals. And, and, and then you streaming. don't make your minimum so you can't get the insurance thing because enough of those oh, residuals, yeah. if you add that, that could get you insurance for the year. But then they took away the residuals. forever. 
<laughs> all the years I've been in SAG, I've had, you know, I've got it made enough that year to get the insurance. Uh, so, so rarely, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's sad. <laughs> I, I just that, got, that is yeah. another thing they really should be working on. That's true. Um, but anyway, so, so I did lots of extra work and I got in, into SAG and then, you know, through my stand-up comedy, I, uh, which, you know, was not my intention when I moved to LA. I just wanted to be an actor, writer, you know, maybe director, but probably not because I never, was never quite, I'm now finally feeling like, oh, I might want to direct something. But uh, anyway, uh, I just, um, you know, kept plugging away with my stand-up. You get, you know, that was a way to get, a, you know, a theatrical agent and management and all that because, you know, you're already, you know, becoming, a, you know, you're already making money as a stand-up. So if they get a piece of that, they can help you get acting roles. And the longest day job I had during my whole time being in L.A. was uh, – for a while, I had a really cushy job writing uh, promos for the uh, WB network uh, when it existed. And I had like an office there, but they still let me do stand-up. I still got to travel and I could still uh, do auditions and, and act and stuff. But I had like a pretty serious deadline going uh, uh, on some promos <laughs> and uh my agent calls and goes hey can you go across the street and audition for a part on friends and i was like you know it's one of those uh, gag moments where like I, you know I, I hung up the phone and i was already standing over at the other lot because you know there i was working on one lot that's just a few blocks from the main lot so i went over and i auditioned it's like you know it's a dumb little scene i have like two lines so i you know you do the whole scene and I did it and the, the room laughed and they said, all right, stick around. Cause it was, it was so last minute. They only, they just brought in like three actors. They just cho chose three people to bring in. So uh, I got a laugh. I felt pretty good about it. One of the other two actors was even a buddy of mine. And uh, they both, you know, did their lines and they came back out and just sort of said to me, Hey, you're the one that we're going to use. Um, you got to be over on the soundstage in an hour. <laughs> And so one, one, one hour after being told I was going to be on Friends, I'm standing there saying the lines to Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> That's incredible. And I was a huge fan of that. I was a huge fan of this show at the time. Yeah. And, um, and my work, it, th that show's crazy. I, you know, I'm in one scene towards the end of the episode. So uh, we did a blocking rehearsal that day. And then they said, see you on tape day. And then, so that was like Wednesday. And then on Friday, I came back for the taping. And, you know, that show is just nuts how much time they spent uh, taping. And I don't know if people really realized that when they're watching a 22-minute episode, that the audience was there for four hours. Wow, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and they even would have a line outside when people would leave. They just load in new people. And, like, the warm-up act had to, like, constantly be, like, throwing T-shirts in the crowd and stuff just to keep them at that fever pitch because my scene was at the end of the episode and uh they started my scene at like 11 30 p.m on that friday night of the taping that started at like seven or eight and um uh anyway my point is just that i just had to constantly check my phone because i never told my bosses that i was guest starring in friends <laughs> that week <laughs> so i just had to like make sure they weren't like looking for me or Maybe asking not. for you know <laughs> they needed anything for me and i i think i told them like a, you know it was a while later because i didn't want to blow it because 
you know, the same thing could have happened again with some other show or something. So I, as long as I got away with it once, I was like, I'm not going to confess it to these guys until after I'm not working for them anymore. (laughs) It was like when everyone first starts, they're they're living like a double life. You have one job and then you're trying to do another one at the same time. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing is I just, I was just lucky to be like, you know, my, my day job was, uh, you know, from my perspective, very exciting. Cause like, you know, uh, that they had uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer on the WB. So I got, you know, I got to see all the episodes early and meet everybody in the show. And, you know, it was like, if I had to have a day job, you know, might as well be that. Plus also I was just writing, you know, dumb jokes for promos. And for a while they, 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 we uh, came up with this campaign where like they'd show like all this activity happening on the Warner Brothers back lot. Like it would be all the interstitials in between the shows would be like, you'd see, you know, Nikki Cox and uh, Felicity or whoever, you know, just all running around and they'd have this big loudspeaker like on MASH and there'd be like these droll announcements about what was (laughs) happening. And so I ended up getting to be the voice of those announcements. And, uh, and so like, I would write and for everyone I would write, I'd also get paid very well to record it. Like those voiceover people get paid very well. So like the more I'd write for myself to say, the more I would get paid. It was the most ridiculous. (laughs) It was this crazy scam of, I'd be like, Hey, we need the loudspeaker to say this here. They go, okay. And like, you'd even get, you'd even get like double your money. If you had to say tonight and Wednesday, like if you had to do two different versions, One where you say tonight, one where you say Wednesday, you get paid twice. So I would always make sure I do every possible version that they could ever need. You know, it was just the, it was the weirdest. Uh, <laughs> it was a uh, it was a wild time. Uh, when you when you were doing the early stand up stuff, because I remember the path used to be you'd want to do your stand up and then have that become a sitcom on its own. Like your personality yeah. would become. You'd be in the clubs working and then some writer would say, hey, let's develop this for you. And then it would be Kevin James or Jerry Seinfeld or like that was what everyone was keying on doing. Yeah, it was really a big that was a big push. And like a lot of people were trying to get into like the Montreal Comedy Festival because if people would get spotted there for those kind of deals, you know, and like, you know, David Letterman produced the um Ray Romano sh- show, you know, because he liked Ray Romano's stand up so much. But so much of that came from comedians that had, like, you know, a, a story or an attitude. And, uh, you know, during my early stand up, when I'd even have any kind of chance at being developed that sort of way, I just never, I didn't have any particular story to tell, you know. Some white kid moves from San Diego to LA and tells jokes about random things, you know, like I didn't really have, I didn't have anything to, to do that with, but I did have, you know, lots of, uh, you know, other opportunities along the way, you know, like I, I came really close to being in a, a James Burroughs, uh, pilot. And, you know, that guy was like, uh, the pilot King or whatever. And, uh, but that the pilot I didn't get into didn't also become a show. So that, that always feels good when that happens. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know and then and then like in the case of podcasting that sort of came along and and has been a real uh a godsend if you if you want to be religious about it because um you know it's just something that i could still do during the pandemic and i could still do during the strike like there's two things back to back 
that lasted a long time that, you know, it shut a lot of people down completely. But, uh, you know, stand-up comedy and, and podcasting were both exempt, so I could, from those things. <laughs> those things, are, they weren't exempt from the pandemic, but you know what I yeah. mean? Like, uh, we did lots of, uh, you know, Zoom shows and stuff. Like, we still did stand-up. Like, I did tons of, like, outdoor stand-up comedy, which I still is my favorite kind of comedy to do because uh, I just love being just doing a show outside. Yeah, I like, those, more I like, like those outdoor shows because they were also connected to weed, uh, weed, legal weed shows. They were legal weed outdoor shows. A lot of times, yeah. Which was, everyone was yeah, fucking high and it was a great audience. And Yeah, yeah, there's a place called Jam in the Van yeah. in, uh, yeah. on the west side that like they give, uh, they just give everybody, um, they can't, you know, you can't, that's the loophole that, or the problem with, uh, trying to, everyone's always like, why don't they open up weed clubs, you know, comedy clubs with weed or nightclubs with weed. And it's because you can't everywhere where it's becoming legal, it's still being, uh, baked into the rules that, you know, a place can't sell alcohol and have weed consumption happening there. Yeah. So, you know, and alcohol still, you're still going to make, even if you had a weed bar where you sold some weed, uh, like it's just not going to do the kind of business that you get with a club that sells alcohol. So, you know, that's where their money is. But in this case, Jam and the Van figured out that if they just have a, a quote unquote open bar where they just get a, like a beer sponsor to just All give right. them a bunch of free beer, then they just give people the beer and then they can, uh, everybody can smoke. That's right. Comedy shows you make the money on the booze and people show up with one joint and they're good for the whole night. There's nothing to sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, unless you're smoking. Yeah, the so you got to get, get the money at the door or selling the weed or whatever. But uh, they've, they've seemed to, uh, they seem to have worked it out. I got to do a show recently where, and I wish this would happen more often, it was at a, like a uh, pet adoption facility and uh, a fancy one, like a upscale one over on the west side. And um, they they told the audience that everybody could bring their their dogs. So, like, most audience members had a dog sitting next to them. And I just, I, just looking around at dogs, you know, that are clearly don't know why everyone's gathered. You know, like, what, why is this guy so important? But uh, it's really fun. Because also, if you make any sudden loud noises, they start barking. They get jittery. <laughs> um, but that, that was neat. I wish there was more of that. Did you I could perform? Did you sit more. there for a few minutes before that and write some dog jokes? I, you know, I came up with some stuff, you know, just a, you know, relatable stuff. Like I opened like with where are my ball liquors at, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> 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 uh but um uh yeah i think i answered a question in there somewhere I, did. I, I have some questions you know i was uh i was an extra in the movie the color of money um and uh nice and i'm on screen like i'm on screen at like 8 17 whatever in chicago but i see that you i saw that you were an extra in three things that i want i want to know about blade runner okay uh yeah that sounds original and high uh-huh. And the Michael Jackson, you're a dancer. I mean, this is like a a great window into into the uh, young actor's mindset, which is like, I'll do anything. I'll even put on an orange jumpsuit and dance behind Michael Jackson because I gotta believe, Doug, you're not a dancer, right? Are you are you a dancer? 
No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Uh, barely, barely musical, uh, even though I've been in a bunch of musicals. But I, I, uh, the dancing has never, has never been my thing. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola was hired to direct an epic short film in 3D starring Michael Jackson as Captain EO uh, at, that would play exclusively at uh, Disneyland Parks. And that was like um, a, a, a persona of Michael Jackson, right? It was like his altered ego or something. They maybe maybe he thought that much of it. I don't know. I don't. I, it it's it very. Was a future, it's, but it was like a future thing. It was like the a, whole a, thing's a, very big. Yeah, it's in the future, and he's the captain, and he just wants to spread uh, joy uh, through music, but he still gets into some you know intense situations. Um, uh, but <laughs> see they, that the story there. <laughs> they yeah, went way over fine. budget. They went way over budget on this ridiculous movie, and so to save money on the last, you know, the last long ass day of shooting over at uh, Culver Studios, they decided to uh, just replace the professional dancers with uh, extras from an extra agency. Who are um, who are saying they can dance? That's all you had to do was say you could dance. Yes, I can dance. <laughs> You're in <laughs> because and they, put, and they put the pro dancers up front, and then they keep it tight. On I, mean, I just watched it today, and they um, you know there are a couple shots. Well, but... the pro dancers, you can tell when they're doing their yeah. thing, yeah. and then at the end, at the very end of the short. Um, Michael Jackson, you know, turns Angelica Houston into a princess and then he begins to dance around and celebrate. And from that point forward, it's me and a bunch of other people who they even did a session with the choreographer the, the morning we got there. They even did a session with us to see if we could pull off something. And everyone was so bad that they just said, screw it. You can all go freestyle. Just, just be jubilant, you know, just dance around jubilant. So, you know, especially when you watch it at Disneyland, you can see the whole big screen. I can point to which one I am because they, they do cut pretty quickly because they don't want to dwell on how terrible it is because nobody's <laughs> dancing particularly well. Um, I'm just jumping around in the silliest ways. It's so ridiculous. And, um, uh, you know, and then they also, they shot it in a way where they, you know, every time they cut to Michael Jackson, it's just him and his robot friends, like leaving, like they're dancing away from us, you know, so kind of, and Angelica's just kind of standing amongst us or whatever. But, uh, but I just really took it as a license to just not only, you know, dance uh, badly, but also weirdly, you know, just to, just to try to, you know, just to try to stand out, you know, but, but just the fact that it was Francis Ford Coppola, Michael Jackson, and it was going to be at Dis like Disneyland's my favorite was always my favorite thing growing up. So it was going to be at Disneyland. It was all very, uh, very exciting, but also just you know sad at the same time because it was such a long, long shoot day. You know, a lot of just sitting around, and um, and uh, Michael Jackson had like his uh, his current fr uh, I don't want to say boyfriend, but current child that was his best friend. <laughs> uh, would sit on his lap in between takes. 
I don't Whoa. know if he was asking him, telling him what he wanted for Christmas or what, because they'd whisper. One, one would whisper in one in one's ear, and they'd laugh, and then the other one would whisper something, and they'd laugh. It was uh, it was trippy. I got one of those calls one day. Wow. Um, someone I was working with was like, "Yeah, that that's you got to see it firsthand." I'm surprised you didn't didn't get subpoenaed, Doug, <laughs> to testify against him. Uh, this guy called me one day. He I goes, mean, it's, uh, all, it's all very innocent, but also just weird that he's like thinks he's a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's forg- it's forgivable because of the mindset. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's. I mean, that guy did so many things that were just like, what? Like, what is, why is this happening? Well, you know, yeah. It's just a level, a level of richness and fame. And then now this Broadway musical that's touring the country, uh, you know, allegations. That's like as far as they get. Like somebody says it like that, allegations. And, you know, that the rest of the show is just like, wasn't he the most amazing, gifted <laughs> beautiful person well he's the, he's the most There's the only children the only children the only children in the show are the ones that play him when he's younger <laughs> they don't depict what i saw <laughs> i mean he was so powerful and i was as i was watching this 16 minute video today i was like this guy is so powerful that they got francis ford coppola and they're doing star wars level like you know spaceships are flying and like laser beams and i'm like what the i mean it's incredible that 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 ever even happened it's the the 3d is really good like when you see it at the you know theater at disneyland it looks like things are like floating like right in front of you like children like swipe at the things and i always and ever since that movie came out i'm like why have we never gotten that level of 3d in a movie theater where we buy tickets and put the glasses on like wow because it's just this one theater the way it's designed can do you know extra great 3d and then you go to a theater and put glasses on and it's uh you know all you get is like more depth you know what i mean nothing comes at you really it's just got more, you know, Jackass, like even the Avatar movies, it doesn't come at you, you know. Jackass 3 in 3D was that, uh, that I don't know if you remember that, those shooting those slow motion dildos at you. I, I thought that was, <laughs> I, I think that's the greatest 3D I've ever seen. Uh, I, I haven't seen the Michael yeah, Jackson. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, pretty incredible. So you just watch the whole Captain EO, you watch all of it yeah. on, like, just on YouTube? Yeah, on YouTube. I was like, wow. I said, I'm like, oh, it's going to be 16 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm good. Okay. Well, but it was, uh, it was, you know, the funny thing about that guy is to say what you will about his <laughs> pedophilia and, and I'm, I'm fully against it, but man, the Duke cadets and, um, and it, his songs, <laughs> he, I mean, he's the greatest dancing pedophile I've ever seen for sure. That's number one. But beyond that, like when when a, when a song plays and you're in the, in that fucking waiting room and you're like you go like this, you're like God damn, he got me again. I mean, I'm fully against him and his, his what he did, but that dude could fucking yeah. spin a song. No, it was it's, yeah. Well, the moral conflict is when you're at a kid's birthday party and Billy Jean comes on, and you, you just can't not dance, but you know there's another level to this where they shouldn't be playing the song. Yeah. It's he's he's just uh, his songs are too popular, and he's you know just the legend 
I mean, you know, because he just everything he did was so. He uh, uh, was in the tabloids constantly. Like, there's do we have? Who do we have today? Like George Santos is like the closest I'd say to Michael Jackson level of just like what is this guy doing? Like every time you hear about, it, I was like, what he did? What? <laughs> How is this? Why is this? Why is everyone allowing this to continue? Like Michael Jackson owning an amusement park and saying, hey. Send your kids here. You don't, and by the way, you, you can just leave them. You don't have to stay. You don't have to stay with them. What? Nobody's going. No, you gotta no. shut this down. <laughs> it was even just shitty carnival rides. He didn't even like build good new rides like Disneyland. He just brought in a bunch of sh- shitty. You know. What do you guys think the percentage of people at the Las Vegas Sphere? when they go to one of those shows that their their mind is altered they're either on psilocybin or or marijuana you're talking about those 3d theaters in that walt disney had i mean that looks like a venue that everyone just must be out of their mind when they walk uh, my into. my wife just went to u2 uh, at the sphere and um and look normally when when i watch people taking i was i was doing stand-up in vegas normally when i i'm at a concert and i i would i just went to wilco and this guy in front of me had his phone up the whole time. And I'm like, it, it, as much as I love Wilco and I do, I'm looking at this guy going, you fucking loser, you fucking dumbass loser. Like, I just yeah. can't stand his phone's at concert. <laughs> I saw, I saw, I'm half of me is thinking about what a loser's case. So when my wife came back from the thing, she's like, you got to see my videos from the concert. I'm like, uh, I don't want to see your goddamn videos. <laughs> and then she showed me some videos. I'm like, God, this place is it was the first time in my life that the concert the videos from my wife showing i'm like pretty it, it was just incredible what they were doing in this sphere like with holograms yeah. and like just these light i mean it was just so wild the sphere is is i mean i haven't gone to it but i'm going and now i'm gonna take videos yeah. and i'm uh, gonna make you guys watch <laughs> i think it sounds like an amazing experience and that like i was talking to somebody yesterday he was saying that the the sound is much better than your typical uh, arena because it's just so much more uh, contained you know in the sphere or whatever um but it just also it just doesn't seem like like you have to be as big as you two to not be dwarfed by the, you know the whole yeah. thing like like you have to be able to be like yeah but these are our songs that you're you're tripping out to right now you know like that's a, such a big part of the experience but like you know it's like why do they even necessarily have to to be there if you could see imagery of anything uh why can't the imagery be you know why can't they pre-film their their parts you know and uh and be bigger on the screen and or just, just want, do it like ABBA and just have the holograms do it. <laughs> but people want it all. You know, they want to see you too. Yeah. Look at them down there. Yeah. And they want to have, because the, the sphere does seem really cool, but I just worry for, you know, it's another area. Like I guess SAG and after couldn't really fight for, Hey, don't, don't make the performers the smallest part of the experience. <laughs> well, there. I mean, there. The, the videos. Like you I mean, can't do stand up in the sphere. That'd be stupid. Doug Benson you know? in like, the sphere. Be... <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, everybody would get get high for that for sure. But that's the thing that's been fun, even more fun for me about Vegas is like. I don't personally feel like I can walk down the strip with like a joint in my hand, but, but you really can like, you know, I, I don't like to be that blatant about it, but, um, it's really, uh, things have really picked up there in that, in that regard, you know? Um, and so, yeah, 
everybody going to the sphere is on something. Yeah, um, it's, it's part of, that's where we're at. Weed, you know, like when you when you get to Vegas, when you're driving in from the airport, there's billboards immediately going weeds right here, like an arrow pointing down, like like you're you know you're one block from the airport, and they're saying, hey, you can buy weed here. <laughs> That's where we're at. You're either going to watch like Martin Scorsese's Killers of a Flower Moon on your iPhone. That's one thing. Or you go big and watch U2 in the sphere. <laughs> There's nothing in between that. I want to watch a movie on my phone while I'm at the sphere. <laughs> with, with Jay's wife hey, filming you watch the movie. Take that, both mediums. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, so... Um, uh we're at the 50 minute mark so why don't we we'll do this uh we we at the end of the uh, episode we always vouch for something I, I i think i told you about this uh app i created called vouch vault because i got pissed off with rotten tomatoes um and i'm it, it's basically a, a recommendation app from people you know i'll go first i'm gonna i'm i, I found this book michael crichton pray um actually i i, I'm, I did a stand-up special recently my editor had this on his uh, uh, shelf, and he gave it to me. Uh, and I, you know, I used to love Michael Crichton books because I always learned something. When I re- read Jurassic Park, you learn about DNA being in like the sap, uh, like maple syrup sap being preserved forever. I, I read the book Congo, where you learn about like how much apes can speak languages. So this is movie. This book, Prey, is about uh, AI. And it's about these like nanoparticles that are that behave like uh, like they program to behave like bees, like in a swarm. And unfortunately, these these nanoparticles are supposed to just sort of you know they're supposed to form a camera. They were going to be like a, a camera over Russia or wherever, and it would take an image and then scatter. But these things started procreating, and then they started eating humans and and were their prey. But anyway, it's another great book by Michael Crichton, who's 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 dead. Um, but I love it. I love Michael Crichton. So that's what I'm vouching He's for. He's very tall. He's a very tall man. Tall man smoked a, a pack a day of cigarettes. Was a doctor. Wrote coma. Right. Like he was a he was a, he was a genius. He was able to figure out how to write these like fast novels that are like with not really long chapters necessarily, but you get a bunch of information. Uh, a lot of it I don't even understand about this programming of nano particles, but this kind of blows right by. It doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, he's an impressive guy, and I love his book. He, um, you know, directed some movies. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, those didn't turn out so good. Well, you know, he, well, we were he, talking. I know he wrote the pilot of ER, and then maybe the whole series in the first couple years which is totally different than the sci-fi stuff that he did with jurassic park and congo and it's still got lots of technical language he's always good with that that kind of stuff you know and then of course jurassic park is a, a classic but like you know he also had like you know tom Selleck in runaway uh he directed that one and uh gene simmons plays the bad guy and um and it's funny that it's um they're little like spider robots. I think are the uh, is the problem in, in that movie. But he is really like uh, most of his things is sort of like medicine or technology run amok. Right. You know, yeah, it's like those things gone gone badly. So of course it 
makes for a good book and, and for a fun movie. You know, the funny thing about uh, when directors are not actors and they hire someone to be the lead actor, they're often trying to hire the actor who kind of looks a little bit like them or reminds them of themselves. So I, I bet I bet he, you know, Tom Selleck was a tall guy. You know, I bet he was like, I'm kind of like Tom Selleck. And then he hired Tom Selleck. Yeah, to be the lead guy. like Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus was Spielberg, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, he was his avatar. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Scorsese and De Niro. You know, that's Scorsese John, went up John to Leo. Ford, John Ford and John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Fucking folks. I'm vouching for so. You know, we love John Prine, the singer songwriter when jay and i first started talking about putting this together a million years ago this show where we just talked to each other <laughs> we wanted to have a john prine intro song um john prine is from illinois where we're both from he died at the beginning of COVID, which was just like i hadn't thought about him in a long time and then when he died he kind of came back into my thinking and i had i have two young kids and I started playing John Prine around the house all the time. And I want to tell them stuff and teach them stuff. And it, they don't listen because I'm a parent and they're kids. But when I play John Prine lyrics, they start singing them. And I'm like, okay, I did something right. So this book just came out. My friend Doug Banger sent it to me. It's called Prine on Prine. And it's a collection of all of his interviews that he did. It's not like an autobiography or a biography that someone wrote about his life. It's just a straight dictation of the interviews that he gave throughout his life. Like he's just shooting the shit with Chris Christopherson or Studs Terkel. There's all this kind of just dialogue. You see what one person said and what someone else did. So I just cracked it and I'm going to go nice. for uh, Johnny nice. Pride. Love it. Yeah. <clears throat> It's easy to vouch for, even though you haven't read the whole thing, just because you know he's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's very few books that I've read all the way that I could vouch for, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to see me uh, holding up a book over here on my end. That's not Doug Love's novels. Um, am I, is it my turn, turn to vouch? It's your turn, Doug. All right. Here goes. Here goes my vouch. Um, brand new on, uh, Netflix is a anime series that's based on the books and the movie version of, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's called Scott Pilgrim takes off. And I saw the first three episodes of it. And if you like the Scott Pilgrim movie or the Scott Pilgrim comics or, um, just anime in general, hip hipsterism, if you will, um, then uh, snarkiness, then uh, check out because it's it's much like the movie's one of my favorites uh, of all time. Is that Michael Sarah in that like, movie? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, your boy Michael Sarah. <laughs> you worked with him, right? I worked with him when he was just a you know a young kid on Arrested Development. And he was pr yeah. impressive in time. Impressive. Just a magical yeah. actor. He's always been very talented and funny, I think. Yeah. yeah. So they and, made uh, an animated show based on not just the movie, but they created the world and 
It's a series. Yeah, because the movie was like made when there was like three comic books, so the movie was sort of based on that. And then he kept making the creator of the comics, Brian Lee O'Malley. He kept making, uh, you know, more stories. But then now, uh, the director Edgar Wright is not. He's only executive producer. I shouldn't say only. It's a big thing that he's executive producer because he got the uh, entire cast of the movie to agree to be in this voices in the series. So all these actors who were, a lot of them were pretty big, even when Scott Pilgrim came out, but then they've now been made even bigger. Thanks to uh, Marvel, you know, like Chris Evans and Brie Larson and people like that are in it. And um, so, yes, yeah, so you got the whole cast together, but it's the series is you start watching it and it feels like the movie. It feels like an adaptation of the movie, but then, Certain lines are different, different characters say different things, and then suddenly it's almost just like, well, what if this story, uh, you know, could be a series that's able to split off in a bunch of different ways. So there's like, so lots of people who are longtime fans of the movie and the books are going to have plot points and jokes and moments that uh, they don't, they're not already familiar with. So it's, you know, it's it's a great show to start with. With if you haven't seen or heard of any of the Scott Pilgrim stuff before, or if you're already a fan, you don't think I should go back Edgar. and watch that movie? I because I haven't seen, even though I'm buddies with Mike Sir, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the original Scott Pilgrim. It's movie. a super, it's a super fun movie yeah. um, to to just rewatch. So I, you know, it, it could be fun for you to do it that way. But then when you start watching the series, you'll go, "Oh yeah, I see that it's it's kind of like the movie, but it's not exactly." And they drew the movie. Michael Sarah. Yeah, it's all these little cute little, uh, you know, uh, just like the original comics sort of had that like anime look, you know, with the big, big eyes. eyes. And there's lots of there's lots yeah. of like uh, you know action, lots of uh, fighting. Sweet. Edgar Wright holds up. I just, he's Shaun of the Dead, right? And then Hot Fuzz. I showed uh, my son and his buddies. I'm like, you guys want to see a really smart, fun movie? Because they were watching all these scary movies. And I showed them Shaun of the Dead. I hadn't seen it probably since it came out. And they loved it. These 12-year-old boys were howling over the absurdity of zombies taking over a London pub. That was his first one, I think. And then... Yeah, well, it was... Yeah, he had a movie before that, but that was his first big... uh big movie and uh the one before that he does it, it doesn't show up anywhere but he's i think he's a little embarrassed by it but it's called uh fistful of fingers oh right and uh um, i remember uh i i i've yet to see it i would like to i'd like to be a completist with him because I've, I've loved uh uh everything he's done and he, you know and he he doesn't move at a super fast pace you know he doesn't have movies coming out constantly because like he'll he likes to come on doug loves movies when he's got a new movie promote but in the 13 years I've known him, he's only been on uh, eight times because <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to come on just to come on, which is like, right. okay, that's, <laughs> I guess that's everybody has to have their, uh, you know, their limits or whatever. But but he enjoys coming on and playing the games and he's really good at them. The last time he was on, uh, he just destroyed everybody like he just had all the right answers. Amazing. Uh, yeah, but but all of his movies uh, I like very much, and most of them are uh, streaming somewhere. Uh, I'll vouch for all of them. And uh, but Scott Pilgrim is my favorite of, of his films. Nice. And uh, so check out Scott Pilgrim takes off. Yeah, that was fun, man. We appreciate it. You wait. Do you want? Oh, do you want no to promote problem. anything? Do you want to promote anything? Any stand up or anything? 
Oh, you know, if you go to douglasmovies.com, that's where all my uh, road dates are. And I'm doing uh, not only Douglas Movies tapings uh, out in the wild, but also uh, I have an ongoing series of shows called The Benson Movie Interruption, where me and my guests just sit in the front row of a movie uh, with microphones and just, uh, you know, riff comments uh, throughout the film. Uh, and so I got one of those coming up in uh, November uh, 26th at the uh, Gramercy in New York City. But all the dates are at douglasmovies.com. Thanks, buddy. We really appreciate it. Mustache Tales.